0: So this morning we we we're continuing on our um, series in Second Corinthians. So the words will come up on the screen while I'm mucking around here. But if you have your Bibles, you can you can flick to uh, Second Corinthians chapter four. Just give me a minute to adjust things. Second Corinthians chapter four. Just finished my game of Candy Crush. Here we go. Hey! So, Second Corinthians. We've been, we've been in this letter for a few weeks now and we've been learning a lot about it. Uh, we've been learning that it's a very personal letter, it's a very autobiographical letter. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And in it, we, we've been learning a lot about the inner workings of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's been bearing his heart uh, with his relationship with the Corinthians. And we've been seeing just what makes him tick. Now, when Jesus called this apostle, the, the, uh, Paul, he said to him, as he was calling him, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So, anyone, anyone got that calling over your life? <laughs> I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Getting a lot of amens out there. It's pretty <laughs> quiet. And so there's the apostle Paul, and he faces many trials and sufferings throughout his life. But the amazing thing is he gets to the end of his life and he can say to his good friend and son, Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. So there's a guy who's been shipwrecked and you know more than the average bloke, but his faith remains intact. His faith uh, does not get shipwrecked in that sense. And so we can see that there was something at work in this man, there was something that he grasped, there was something that he had experienced deep within his heart that gave him such stability, such confidence, such security to weather life's storms. And so I, can, I really want to learn from a guy like that, you know, because I'm not sure whether in my life I will ever face the same trials and sufferings that this guy did, you know, ushering in Christianity, it's no small task, is it? Uh, but if he can get through what he got through and the end of his life and say, I've fought the, you know, the good fight, I've kept the faith, then, then, then I've got something to learn from this guy. So, um, so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to explore the basis for Paul's security and his confidence to, to weather any storm. So we're going to work through a decent sized passage, passage of scripture today. Uh, I'm going to attempt the whole chapter. We'll see how we go. And we're just going to unpack the flow of it and just learn what we can uh, through this chapter. So we start off in, uh, there we go, so chapter 4, verse 6. We're going to start off in verse 6 there. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone light in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you read that backwards, you could say, Jesus is the glory of God and we have been given this knowledge of it and it's like a light that's gone off in our, in our, in our hearts and God is the one who has done this. As a Christian, he has, he has illuminated our hearts, hasn't he? He has done something deep within us, this glorious truth that we know with our head and with our heart that Jesus is the image of the Father, that he is the way to eternal life. That he is the source of all goodness, he is all joy, he is all powerful, he is the king of kings. And, and we have this in our hearts like a treasure, and it's like an illumination that God has done uh, in our life. But it's more than just a head knowledge, isn't it? It's a, it's a deep conviction, it's, a, it's, a, it's like something's happened in our life, it's like we're, like we're born again. You know? It's like something has happened and it's transformed us. And, 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 and every Christian who, who carries this knows exactly what I'm talking about, it's a deep inner work. It's a work of new creation. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Something new has sprung up in your life when you have been illuminated with the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and he is the source of all eternal life. God is working about new creation. God is the one who created the heavens and the earth on day one, and when it all sort of looked like it turned to custard, he is the one who is recreating all things and bringing about new creation, beginning with those beings who are made in his image. That's you and me. We are new creations. But this story of new creation panned out in a way that nobody was expecting, and the way that the gospel works, this gospel message, is never something that you and I would have come up with. And we see a hint of that in a, very, in a verse here that's very loaded in itself. There's a little hint here. God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Let light shine out of darkness. Notice that it doesn't say let light shine onto darkness, but that God would take darkness, something miraculous would happen, and light would emerge from it. Light out of darkness. And so there's the disciples of Jesus sitting there absolutely discouraged and disappointed because their Messiah has been crucified. For them, it's game over. You know, darkness hovering over the waters. But then something happened. Light emerged out of darkness, new resurrection life, uh, and God caused all of the pain and the suffering of the cross to result in life forevermore and life for us. That is the way that God is creating all things new, light from darkness, <laughs> Paul's mind, he has these really loaded phrases uh, like this. So in other words, how God plans to redeem the world and people within it will involve defeating the powers of darkness using their own devices. It It will involve taking the suffering and hardships that the enemy sends and bringing about God's purposes through them. Light from darkness. So we have this great treasure. It looks a little bit different than what we would expect. But then Paul goes on to say, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. You see, as a Christian, we live in a, with a peculiar contrast, don't we? We possess this great truth. Wow, God's illuminated our life. Something is happening in our life. But we house this truth in a very ordinary and earthly frame that faces all sorts of perplexion and all sorts of afflictions. But within us, we carry this great treasure. I, I, I saw a story in the news recently. You might have seen it. There's a, a lady in the UK, and she went shopping, as, as they do, and, uh, and they went, she went to an op shop. <coughs> And uh, she, bought a, um, she bought a ring at an op shop, like a, as a costume ring. And oh, she saw that, it kind of looks nice, slips it on her finger. And it, was, it became her favourite ring. So she carried it everywhere, you know, like as they do. And uh, At 30 years, she wore this ring for. Someone said to her, hey, why don't you get that thing valued? That actually looks like it could be worth something. So she goes to the valuers and uh, she, she paid £10 for it, you know. The housing looked a bit average and the stoneware looked a bit fake, you know, as a, as a costume ring. Well, she found out this thing was worth something like $500,000. And she had been carrying it on her finger the whole time. <laughs> and uh, so now her life's changed. She's rich and, you know, whatever. But the re- on the outside, outward appearance, 10 pounds, you know. Housing, average, you know, bit of a dull polish to it. But the inner value and work, you know, the inner treasure of this ring, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. A huge amount of... Uh, money it was a 26 carat white diamond from the 19th century and there she was just on her finger just unassuming the whole time now when we talk about that that's when we if i was to use it as an example for you know this treasure of, of the christian life well it's not talking about uh, god's value for us you know it's not talking about god is infinitely valuable which is true but it's not saying that we are invaluable and he just houses himself in us. No, he, he infinitely values you. He loves you with a love that you cannot measure or fathom and you will spend all of eternity unpacking. It's not talking about how much God values you, it's talking about power. That's the context. It's talking about power. Power to, for the lights to go on, what we were just talking about before. You know, power for illumination and salvation. Power to see Jesus as, as, you know, as the image of God. Power to see people forgiven, redeemed, embraced by the Father. This takes power, and it doesn't originate from us, although we house it When this great message, well, look what God has done, it originates from him. And that's why Paul could say, uh, hey, look, I'm just like a clay jar, but there's this great and valuable truth that God's power is at work in me and amongst you. You see, the Corinthians, they made the mistake of making everything about external displays of wisdom and power. They put it on their shoulders to see these things happen. And they were unimpressed with Paul and they wrote him off. And Paul says, no, you're missing the point. The power belongs to God. I am just like a clay jar for his glory. So when people see Paul and hopefully when people see us in this church, they see a very ordinary, you know, building and ordinary bunch of people and I don't think you're ordinary but uh, they see they see light streaming through the cracks wow what a glorious God look what he's doing it can only be God at work in that person Paul goes on to say we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Death is at work in us, but life in you. Now, I've been learning as I've been just mulling over this passage that this contains a really important principle for us to grasp and a really important principle that helped Paul not to lose heart when he faced sufferings and trials. And it's this whole kingdom principle, isn't it? This whole kingdom principle of life emerging from death. Or light emerging out of darkness. Jesus died that we might what? Live. And Jesus said, you want to find life, you're not going to find it until you what? Lay your life down. It's the kingdom principle. Come and follow me, it'll cost you all you have. <laughs> You'll find life, but it will cost you everything. Life from death. So as we lay our life down, as we patiently endure suffering, the result is life. Now, the result is life for us in some kind of mysterious way. God will work out this for you know, eternal glory and uh, you know, future resurrection. And wow, everything's going to you know, work itself out. But it also, so life for us, but it's also life for others. And that's what Paul is really highlighting here. Death is at work in us, but life in you. He was facing such trials and such struggles, but what it was actually doing was producing life in the Corinthians. And they couldn't see that. He was weak, he was suffering, he was ailing, he was sacrificing himself, he was working so hard, and all to benefit and bless, not himself, was costing him his life, but Actually, to benefit the Corinthian church, and they couldn't see that. And So, later on, he'll say in this passage, oh, well, you know, later on in verse 15, he says, It's all for your sake. This ministry of mine is literally costing me my life, but it's all for your sake. And isn't it true in our lives that we want to, you know, when we invest with people and when we invest in other people, it takes a bit of self sacrifice. And but the result is life. So whether it be our marriages, our friendships, whether it be in someone that we want to see, you know, be discipled into uh, someone who knows and loves Christ more, whether it be helping the community out, or whatever it is, if we want to see life, then there's this principle of while well, laying down our life that we might see life in others. I know when my marriage is, uh, my Becca and I's marriage is going really well. It's because we're thinking of each other and laying ourselves down for each other. And maybe when it's not so going so well, it's because we're being stubborn and we're only thinking about ourselves, or I'm thinking about myself. My l- lovely wife is always uh, thinking about us both. But uh, so you know what I mean? It's, it's 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 a very real principle here. Tom Wright uh, on this, he says. The gospel, of course, is the message of Jesus' death and resurrection. Everything Paul writes is based on those central events. Nowhere else, though, has he woven them into the very texture of his thinking and writing to the extent that he has done in this most personal letter. He is determined to understand his own experience of trials and suffering, not as a denial of the gospel, but as a strange confirmation of it. And this is a bit that really jumped out and hit me when I was reading it. If you want to see resurrection at work here and now, in your own life, you have to be prepared to see crucifixion at work as well. Paul goes on to say in verse 13, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so also we speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence, for it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So what we've seen so far is that we, we have this great treasure, don't we? We are illuminated, but it's in a fragile frame, in a, in a, in a, in a dull ring, you might say, and this could cause us to despair It could have caused Paul to stop speaking. That's why he says, and so we also speak. There's a very real chance that he could have been discouraged to the point that he stopped speaking, stopped sharing about Jesus, stopped speaking of the good news. It stopped John the Baptist. (laughs) You know, just thinking about it, this guy, the mountain of a man, you know, Jesus, Jesus' cousin who is just the man, you know, like had such a revelation of Jesus, or many, many people come. He's, uh, He's in a jail. And Jesus is going around proclaiming that he will set captives free. And he's not being set free. And Jesus is his cousin. And this trial and suffering caused him to despair. He sent someone to Jesus and said, are you really the one that's coming, or should we expect somebody else? Now I wonder. Perhaps there's some John the Baptist in this room. I mean, you are you've seen God's work powerfully in your life, in your past, but now you feel like you're in a prison. You know, you've met, you've come up against hardships, trials. And maybe you've struggled to see God's purposes in them to the point maybe you feel sidelined or perplexed, as Paul would say. You see, John wanted freedom from a physical prison. He wanted freedom from chains and bars. But he didn't realise he needed freedom from a different sort of prison, a prison of disappointment and of discouragement. And I believe that Jesus is here by his spirit this morning and has highlighted this because he wants to set you free. He wants to bring you freedom. And we'll have a chance to respond a bit later on. But amazingly, Paul doesn't stop speaking about Jesus. He carries on. He continues. It's because he's grasped something. He believes something. He's, he's laid hold of something. And it's this quote here that gives it away. Psalm 116. To us, it just looks like a throwaway line. You know, if you believe something, then you know, speak it. It's a bit more than that. It's like you know, when you're scrolling through the internet and you've got, you know, you've got your web browser up. And uh, there's those little hyperlinks, and it's like a blue underlined little thing, and you click on it, boom, and it brings up a whole new page. That's kind of what Paul does in his writing. He's so soaked in Scripture. He can just allude to something, and it invokes all sorts of other things. Well, this is Psalm 116 that he's quoting. And that's a psalm about a man who was facing certain death, facing perplexion, persecution, suffering just like Paul was. He could probably you know, put himself in that psalm. But he cries out to God and God redeems him and God rescues him and he's just pouring out his love for God for doing that to him. Charles Spurgeon about the psalm explains the whole theme of the psalm is a personal love fostered by a personal experience of redemption. A personal love. Thank you God for what you've done. Fostered by a personal experience of redemption. He was facing very real death, death and very, you know, very real sufferings and trials. The only thing is that Paul hasn't experienced any redemption yet. He's still suffering. And so what he is doing is he is laying hold by faith something that will happen in the future. He believes that God is faithful to raise him up with Jesus and that his work is not in vain because it will produce life forevermore and also life in the Corinthians in their church as well. And he lays hold of that by faith. Here is a man that's so convinced of God's character and so convinced of his goodness and his plan to make all things new that he could have a personal love fostered by something that hasn't happened yet because he is so assured of God's goodness. He is assured of things that he hopes for and he is convinced of things that he hasn't seen yet. That's the definition of faith, isn't it? He lays hold of it by faith. That's why he can go on to say in the next verse... So we don't lose heart. He doesn't get discouraged. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen, are, sorry, that are unseen are eternal. I think Paul's talking a bit more here than about sort of body and spirit and body is, you know, temporary and spirit is eternal. I think he's talking about things that he lays hold by faith and things that, you know, things that you see with the natural eye and things that you lay hold of by faith. By faith, things are unseen. Those things are eternal. But the things that we see with our natural eye, they will pass away. And when we lay hold of something by, by faith, it pleases God and, and he will reward us because it's impossible to please God unless you have faith, which means if you have faith, you're pleasing God. You know, So you're right in the stream of what he's doing. So it's all about what we're looking at and all about what our focus is at. It's all about seeing, isn't it? What can Paul see with his natural eye? Look around his life. He can see people following him, every town, persecuting him, throwing him in jail and beating him. He can see situations that just perplex him. Some of his closest friends leaving him and rejecting him. He's got persecutions in every town. He's got illnesses and weaknesses. He's got people that should love him and that are criticising him and rejecting him. He's got every reason to just give up. This is what he sees with his natural eye. But what does he see by faith? He sees himself raised with Christ. He sees the Corinthians raised with Christ with him. He sees a future weight of glory beyond all comparison that makes these things seem light and momentary. That's the unseen things that he lays hold of by faith. The warning on the flip side of that is that we only fix our eyes on things that we can see with our natural eye, then we will grow discouraged. I feel like the Father will just remind us this morning of His love for us and His desire to sustain us in this world. He knows that we are, you know, a, a, a clay jar, you know, holding this eternal treasure in our. He knows the tensions that we feel because, you know, Jesus lived out all of these things as well. I mean, there's Jesus going to the cross and He's going to lay His life down and face such suffering that none of us will ever, you know, experience. And He. And he's comforted by the Father that it's all in his will. And I just feel like the Father would remind us this morning he is for us, he loves us, he understands the tensions and what we face and He is here to comfort us this morning and he's here to carry you through so you can get to the end of your life and say, I have fought the good fight, I have run the race, I have kept the faith. That is his desire for you. And that comes out even in Jesus' teaching. So he can say things like, Seek first the kingdom, And all these other things that you're worrying about, they'll be added to you. He wants us to focus on the right things, to to lay hold of those things by faith because they will sustain us through times of trouble. He goes on to say, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. This is really getting into the specifics of what Paul's hope is for redemption and what he embraces by faith. Future, eternal, you know, life, like nothing he's ever known, you know, satisfying the longings that he holds, eternal life, that what is mortal, this, this tent, this old ring, this clay jar, would be swallowed up by life. Paul's hope specifically is in future resurrection life, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise him up with Jesus as well. So he can spend his life, he, as he says in Corinthians, I will gladly be spent for you. He can physically be spent for them because he has a faith that God will put on this heavenly dwelling for him. Now, this is all resurrection life language and I talked more about the resurrection at Easter time. So if you want to jump online and download that talk and unpack the, you know, the resurrection, then uh, then I'd encourage you to do that. But Paul's hope is more than just about going to heaven when he when he dies. Although that he says that would be far better than what he's experiencing. It's, it's, he's talking about new heavens, new earth, resurrect the bodies, you know, God defeating the powers of darkness. He's, he's talking about God's massive plan for, uh, for redemption. And I was reminded as I was driving to work the other day, as I was thinking about this passage, I was driving along and uh, I saw a, a drove past a countdown uh, supermarket. And uh, yeah, there's the big illuminated signs uh, outside, the, outside the supermarkets. And, but this one only had like a few of the letters up. It was only like C-O-U-N, and then the rest was black, 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 black. So I don't know, if you weren't familiar, maybe you thought it was the council building or something, I don't know. But, um, but what I thought to myself, well, what was, what's needed in that situation is not for those letters to be turned off, but actually for the other letters to be turned on to get a fuller picture of what, uh, what's happening. And once you see the countdown, the implications of that are, oh, wow, I see now there's, there's a supermarket to go to, I can be sustained, and you know, like, oh, I can take my kids there or whatever else it is. It's a kind of a rough analogy because, in my mind, in the same kind of way, Christians can have an incomplete view of the gospel and limit it to just going to heaven when we die rather than seeing the grand plan of all creation that God will make all things new. That God, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and we we'll have physical resurrected bodies within that. And that's Paul's plan. And you can, if, if you want to do a bit more homework on that, and if I'm provoking you and prodding you in that way, then have a look at First Corinthians chapter fifteen, uh, uh, which is all about the resurrection. Uh, but I don't I sort of don't want to spend too much time on that. But I did sort of. I was thinking to myself, well, why does it? Why does it matter that I keep talking about resurrection? Why does it matter that Paul keeps talking about resurrection? Well, I'm thinking and praying that through my own life and learning more and more, but in my mind, I think it must have something to do with that the bigger picture that we have of what God is doing in terms of new creation, then surely the, 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 the more grounding hope of, a, of a hope that we have and the more fuller understanding of what God is doing. So it's not about just escaping this world when we die, but it's that God is really going to do something with the physical pain and suffering that we feel in this world, and the plan is for resurrection life. So I'm not doing that justice at all. It's almost a crime to skip through that, but I do have to keep going, because I want to focus on some other things here. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Whatever it looks like, this eternal glorious plan that God has for us, we know it will be good because it's prepared for by God, handcrafted by Him. But it's this phrase here that I want to just finish off and spend a little bit of time in closing. He's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee as a guarantee. It isn't just a head knowledge of what's to come that sustained Paul through trials and troubles. It was the actual tangible experience of some of that future resurrection life brought forward into now. I'll use a few analogies to hopefully unpack this. Imagine you're a pilot, right? You've got a pilot's licence, you're flying this plane, you know, and, uh, and, a, and a couple of the engines cut off, they're gone. Oh, no, and so this plane starts nose-diving, and you are nose-diving to certain death. Now, you might not lose hope, (laughs) you might not lose courage, because you have a head knowledge, you know, from your pilot's course, that you know how ejector seats and parachutes work, you know, so you don't lose heart. Now, that might be encouraging, but it's not actually the full Christian hope. It's not that we just have a head knowledge that one day God will make all things new and God will make things so glorious in the future that it dwarfs us now. It's not just a head knowledge. It's more than that. It's it's more like the assurance that a shop owner gets when someone walks into his shop and that's like, I want to buy a new surfboard, I want to buy a new washing machine or whatever else he wants to buy, and he makes a down payment in cash promising what else is to come, which is the rest of the payment, right? So I get physical, cold, hard cash, you know, hundred bucks or whatever it is, as a tangible experience of what's going to come later. That's more like the Christian hope. Not a head knowledge, but an experience, you know, cold, hard cash. Or well, the other analogy is, say uh, you have a child and you take them to the mall to get some ice cream. So it probably won't be the parents, it'll probably be the grandparents, Right? Uh, but the grandparents take their kid to the, to, the, to the mall and the kid's there and he's, and he's looking at the glass window and, and he's looking at all the different ice creams that he wants to pick and uh, he picks one and he's like, Well, oh, I really want that one, you know, hoping for that one. And so what does the owner do? Well, they get that little, you know, the little popsicle stick and they scoop it in and they give it to the child and he tastes it. He gets a taste of what's to come. He doesn't get a picture of the ice cream you know he he doesn't just get like a recipe for the ice cream he gets a real taste of what's to come that is the christian hope that is the christian hope not an iou not a contract a, a bit of the real thing a taste of what's to come god has given us the holy spirit of the as a foretaste of future resurrection glory and it's that experience that is churning away in Paul and enabling him to get through these life's challenges. Not a head knowledge, but a real experience. That's why we can sing about in our songs, you know, we are a people with resurrection life. We, we experience this Now. The Holy Spirit is so critical to us in our life to help us, to to, to carry us along, because without it, it will just become a head knowledge. We will get discouraged. But day by day, the Holy Spirit works in us. He renews us daily, He produces fruit in our life. You know, sunlight and nutrients flows through a tree. What happens? Fruit emerges. In the same kind of way, when the Holy Spirit's working in your life, fruit emerges. So we get patience and kindness. He brings us on. He he makes us more loving and all these things and helps us to be parents and so on. He the Holy Spirit comforts us when we need comfort, doesn't he? He makes known to us the love of the Father. He speaks to us. Don't go that way, go this way. Or, you know, you get that conviction that I didn't quite handle that situation very well by the Holy Spirit. He he makes his word alive to us, he brings healing power. We're called to be a people of resurrection power because it's our inheritance. It's, it's who he's made us to be it's, as his children. He's given to us as a taste of what's to come. And that really is the heart of what sustains Paul. So Paul gets to the end of his life and he can say, I've kept the faith. Why? Because he's got a head knowledge? Well, he's got a lot of head knowledge but he's also got an experience because some of that future life is ripped from the future and implanted into your life now, and it's yours to experience. It's yours to taste. That's why the Bible can say, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the invitation this morning. Come and taste and see. Why don't we stand? That's about about all I've got to say, but... I don't, want to leave, I, just, I don't want to move on too quickly. I want to give us an opportunity just to really hear what God is saying to us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we want to get to the end of our lives and say we have run the race. We have kept the faith. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us everything we need to make that a reality. You've given us everything that we need. You've given us the Holy Spirit as a foretaste, as a, as a taste of what's to come. Thank you, Lord, that we live with one foot in this world and one foot in the age to come. We, we live with resurrection power now, and sometimes we are perplexed, Lord, but but you have overcome the world. You have given us, you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. That's what your word says, Father. And So we, pray, I just, we just pray, Lord Holy Spirit, come and make yourself known amongst us more. Come and make yourself known amongst us more. Release more healing power amongst us, Lord Jesus. Re- release more, uh, more hope and life, Lord. Release freedom for the captives, for those who are, feel like they're stuck in discouragement and despair. Help us to see, Lord God, that, that you, know, you are King of King and Lord of Lords. And you can even take the weapons of the enemy and use them for your purposes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We want to be more and more people of power, more and more people who experience your love, Lord. Take us on in you, we pray, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I know there's going to be some words of knowledge coming uh, for people, there's some prophetic encouragements I know that are stirring, and that's going <coughs> to bring a couple now and just, and just share and just help us to close the meeting and, and minister to one another. But just a couple that I really feel I really do feel, hey, look, if there's any John the Baptist in this room, then hey, look, today is a day of freedom for you. Today is a day to come out of that prison and be really met with by the Holy Spirit because you are. John the Baptist. You know, you are someone who carries experience. You are someone who carries something of God that, you know, you can impart to others and encourage others. And you're not to stay in that prison anymore. You're to come out and be a blessing to people around you.